Ladies and gentlemen, Cleveland Indian fans, we are gathered here tonight on the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show to mourn the lost opportunity for Terry Frank <coughs> and the rest of the Cleveland Indians Ball Club to win the American League Central Division title. Yes, the plug was pulled last Thursday evening as the Detroit Tigers finished off a four-game sweep of the Tribe, thus sending the division title chances to the big wigwam in the sky, leaving all the fans to think of the memories the 2013 season could have held, just another in a long line of games lost, and thinking about what might have been and what might be next year. Even with 40 games left, may the 2013 Cleveland Indians rest in peace. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the funeral edition of the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Yes, the chances for a division title are no more for the Cleveland Indians. Possibly a chance of going to the playoffs, even more so, are out of the realm of possibility after the week that the Indians have had. But the Cincinnati Reds, they continue to plod along and Looks like they're going to make the playoffs. Welcome, everyone. I'm Dave Mitchell, and let's bring in one of our pallbearers for tonight's Cleveland Indians coffin, Mark Donahue. Mark, good evening. Well, David, I was going to say, things couldn't get much worse for the Indians, but I think you just proved they could. So, <laughs> it was, it was, believe me. What a week. I, I asked you. What a week. And I asked you earlier today, uh, as we were preparing for the show, uh, and you might want to share your, your response, what impact do you think that first game had on the rest of the week? When they had a two-to-one, was it, they were ahead in the ninth inning, uh, blew the game, and ended up winning, losing six in a row. Yeah, up or two to nothing. Chris Perez comes in, blows it. And, and Mark, I told you, and I'll reiterate my thoughts, that one pitch to Alex Avila from Chris Perez may have turned around the entire season because Corey Kluber pitched just an outstanding game. He really pitched his rear end off in that ball game, Mark. And then Joe Smith comes in and gets through the eighth inning, and then Chris Perez comes in and blows it. And I was very frustrated, as many people probably noticed last uh, Monday night during the show when that happened. And, and you know, closers are going to blow games, Mark. That happens with everyone. I mean, look at Mariano Rivera this week against the same Detroit Tigers ball club that the Indians lost four straight to. And then Danny Salazar on Wednesday night, he was pitching outstanding. And I can't fault Terry Francona for leaving Salazar in in the eighth inning with two outs to face Miguel Cabrera, who has proven time and time again He's the best baseball player, I think, in the game today. He was playing that series, Mark, on one leg, and he managed to hit the home run that put the Tigers on top in that game. Now, eventually it went to 14 innings, and the Tigers ended up winning it. But those that first game, Mark, if the Indians win it, I think it changes not only the tone of the series but the tone of the rest of the season. And realistically, the Indians should have come out of that series with nothing but they were – you know, just shut down in four straight games. And I think that really does, it, it ends the hopes, not only of the Central Division, but now they're four games back in the wild card. 
Well, but four games at this point in the year, you still got what close to fifty games left. That's it's still very you know possible they could they could qualify. They're going to have a chance. They're going to get their chances to do it. But when you lose games like they did, I think it's more than just the impact it has on the standings. And as we were saying today, when you lose a game against the team ahead of you in the standings, it really is a two-game swing. So losing those first two games in this series was a four-game swing. But beyond that, psychologically, to have your closer come in, and I looked at that pitch he threw Avila uh, four or five times. It wasn't a terrible pitch. I mean, he t the guy took it to the to the opposite field and you know put it over the fence. But it, it just, location wasn't bad. He just didn't seem to have a lot on the pitch. But the psychological impact of a, of a loss like that, it, it can really tear your guts out. When, when it's one thing to get beat 15 to nothing, uh, like the Reds did against the Cardinals a couple weeks ago, 15 to three. Uh, those things you get over. It's when you lose a game like that. You're ahead two, you know. You're behind by two, or ahead by two runs when the team scores three. The team that you're chasing, and it just tears your guts out. And psychologically, that was one of the worst losses I think the Indians have had for a number of years. You know, I think as a closer, and you know that's something that we've never brought up, but you've got to have it. The, the ability to be able to have a short memory, just like a defensive back in football. You've got to have a short memory, and if you blow something or if there's a, if a, a pitch that you thought was a strike is a ball, call the ball, you've really got to be able to shake it off and concentrate on the next pitch. That has been an ongoing problem with Chris Perez. He's not been able to do that. When something goes awry... If it's whether whether or not it's something off the field or on the field, he always seems to have it bother him on the field, and you just can't have that in a closer. And I think that's why he's he's never going to be the shutdown closer that a ball club needs. You know, it's interesting you mentioned that because uh, a couple of weeks ago, you may recall the Reds were playing San Diego in San Diego, had a one to nothing lead, and Chris Norfia, after a leadoff walk by somebody. Chapman walked the leadoff guy. Next pitch, Denorfia hits a two-run home run, and the Reds lose the game. And the next day, they interviewed Chapman. And at first, I was kind of taken aback by his response. But he said, you know what? I throw fastballs all the time. I throw them at 100 miles an hour, just like I did last night, and sometimes they're going to hit them. And that, you know, basically, as he, he was saying in so many words, you know, crap happens. And, and yeah. you know, he got over it, and he went out there the next time and struck out three and threw the ball at 103 miles an hour. So you're right. I mean, these guys really can't have any emotion about their failure, and uh, that, that's why the greatest reliever of all time, the greatest reliever of all time, can lose three in a row or blow three uh, saves in a row, but it doesn't look like it bothered him. Yeah, and and it didn't bother him. But the problem is, and and it doesn't appear to bother Chapman. But boy, when you're talking about uh, Chris Perez, it just seems to bother him. He just lets things continue to build and build and build until he's unable to really deal with a problem. You know, the Indians last week they went one and six. Mark, let's just go over the week. The Reds went four and one. It was really a short week for the Reds. Only five games last week. That's unusual. 
Yeah, they had two games off. They had, uh, I guess, Thursday off, and they had uh, Monday off. And they played the A's on Tuesday and Wednesday. But actually, that, that was good for the Reds because they, they got some rest. And uh, I don't know if you saw yesterday's game or not, but they, they talk about a game they should have lost. That was it. <laughs> no way the Reds should have won that game, but they did, and so they had a pretty good week. Okay, well, Ryan Ludwig is back. He was in the lineup tonight and yesterday. He had an opportunity to talk to the Cincinnati media about his return to the lineup today. I with you, there was really, I mean, it's just another baseball game. Uh, I've had a time, you know, some, some time off. And, uh, obviously, with that much time off, um, a lot of these guys are in the season form, and I'm just starting. It's like opening day, and, and I'm just excited to get out there, you know. Um, I like playing in Wrigley. Uh, have pretty good numbers there, so, uh, you know, hopefully that carries over to tomorrow. Okay. He's in the lineup tonight, Mark, batting sixth. What did he do in his first at-bat? Double play, and then I didn't see his second at-bat, but he, he did make an out, so he's over for two. <clears throat> well, he had a tough time in the minors on his rehab stint. I mean, really, you don't want to take these numbers into consideration, but he did only have six hits in 44 at-bats, and he's coming back from that uh, shoulder surgery. And, Mark, he's been off since, what, August or April 1st? April 1st, and... The, the idea, and I, I don't blame Ludwig for this, but the idea that a guy can come back with no spring training, step into a pennant race, and make a valuable contribution, I think is, is absurd. And I still think if the Reds don't improve their position and get either the, the division or the, the first wild card position where they get a home game, uh, it's because the Reds foolishly did not go out and get another bat, especially when you have Frazier stinking the joint up. And the Reds are going nowhere this year. I mean, I think they'll make the playoffs because they've got a five-and-a-half game lead now over Arizona uh, with only 45, 50 games left. So the chances are they're going to make the playoffs, but they, they don't have any kind of offensive abilities to, to go anywhere in the playoffs. Well, I mean, you can't win a lot of games just scoring three runs a game, and that seems to be what their their high-water mark is. Like you said yesterday, they won that game 3-2, to two, scored three runs, and won the ball game. Yeah, and the day before they got beat, uh, and they, they I think they only scored one run the second game, and then the first game uh, they won three. I think it was three to one. They won. So yeah, th this team uh, is chugging along, as you said, or stumbling along, whatever it was. But they're 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 surviving only because the National League has a second wild card spot. Although they're only two games behind the Cardinals, who have, have their own problems. But what is so frustrating is. The Reds had a chance to fix this, and they should have done it in April, not not now. If they brought another bat in, if they, they'd have got somebody to, to hit even 260 or 270, uh, this team would be either in first place or, or closely behind the, the, the Pirates. <clears throat> well, here's a rundown of what's going on with both clubs. The Indians are 63-55 and 55 overall entering tonight's game with Minnesota. They were 3-7 and seven in their last 10. They're still in second place, but they're seven games behind Detroit and only a half a game in front of Kansas City, and they're four games behind Tampa in the wild card chase. Now, on the other hand, the Reds are 65-52 and 52 overall, entering the game tonight at Wrigley against the Cubs. They've been 6-4 and four in their last 10. They're in third place, five games behind Pittsburgh for first. They're two games behind the Cardinals in second, but... Despite their problems, Mark, they're still five and a half games up in the wild card chase for the last wild card spot over Arizona, and Arizona's coming to town 
to Cincinnati in a couple of weeks. Yeah, and the Reds would have a chance to blow them out of the water uh, if they win three or four or sweep them. Not that they will, but even if the Reds split, you know, it, it doesn't help Arizona. So uh, <clears throat> I think that the thinking and, and who knows what's behind uh, the, the thought processes of the management of the Reds, but I, I, it, to me it appears that they said, look, we're not going to catch the Cardinals or the Pirates. Uh, we're, we're not that much better off even if we do catch the Cardinals. We don't want to give up some young kids for, for uh, you know, maybe somebody that's only going to be around for a year or two. So they decided to do, do nothing and hope that the pitching carries them, you know, to a playoff spot. And at least they'll be able to tell their fans, well, look, we made the playoffs again. But this team has gone nowhere the last two times they were in the playoffs. And uh, this team with the pitching they have, they had a chance uh, to go all the way with a couple bats. They just not, did not go out and get them. And I, I'm trying to remember, I, I was thinking back to some really uh, horrible performances by a player in a given year. And Adam Dunn comes to mind when he was with the White Sox a couple of years ago, hit 158, uh, even though he had a bunch of home runs. But right now, Todd Frazier is the most overmatched hitter in baseball that I know of. And I can't think of anybody, maybe maybe Drew Stubbs last year, <clears throat> near the end of the year, you know, he ended up hitting 211, but he had about 175 the second half of the year last year. He, he was pretty helpless. But at least he played great defense, and he stole you some bases when he did get on. Frazier is uh, – yesterday he was 0 for 5, and I swear to God, David, he was missing balls by a foot. And I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. He was missing breaking balls, sliders on the outside corner by a foot. He swung at an inside curveball that he had to miss by 8 inches. It's as if he's swinging blindfolded. And they keep the poor kid in there. He's got to be, you know, dying on the inside. He's hitting 180 since April. And the Reds had a chance to go out there and do something, and they didn't. So uh, I was watching the game yesterday thinking, this is singularly the most boring team the Reds have had in years. In years. Even though you mentioned they're only, uh, you know, they're, they're in a playoff hunt. But this team might be up by five or six games in the Central, and they're not. Well, Mark, you know, we talked a little bit about this earlier. The Indians designated for assignment Mark Reynolds, which I'm really sorry to see Mark go. He's a great clubhouse guy. But as I brought up the stats last week, since June 1st, he had struck out 67 times and had driven home just seven runs. Now, what about... You know, this guy, Mark Reynolds, he can really power a ball club. He did it in April and May with the Indians. What would be the problem with the Reds dropping Jack Hanahan, for crying out loud, because he's doing nothing, and bringing on Mark Reynolds and just hoping that they can catch lightning in a bottle? He can't be any worse than what Frazier and Hanahan have been. Well, first of all, they signed Hanahan to a two-year contract, which is beyond my comprehension. The guy's hitting 200. He, he had three errors on Friday night. Everybody has bad nights, but he doesn't have a home run. He hasn't stolen a base. He's been he's been spotty on defense. I, I don't understand how you can be that far off in your selection of someone. But even if you are, why give him a two-year contract? And I forget how much money it was, but I remember being shocked at the contract he got. 
Yeah, I so, can't imagine yeah, anybody else out trying to outbid the Reds for Hanahan on a two-year deal. No, it was shocking at the time, but maybe I was thinking, well, maybe I've overlooked something because I saw him play for the Indians, but at least last year or the year before, he looked decent. He looked like he, you know, somebody who made contact, but he, he had one of the worst games I've ever seen a major leaguer have the other night. Uh, I guess it was Saturday night. He made three errors in one game, and then he, he, he grounds into a double play, and with a tying run at second base, he gets a ground ball to the second baseman, and you know, it, it's just a horrible game, but uh, it's just it's puzzling to me that you can't find better players than that. And is Reynolds the answer? Probably not. You know, with those kinds of numbers, I don't think he comes in and does much for a team. But now it's too late, David. You know, we're in the middle of August. You have you have nine months, or not that long, but you have certainly four or five months to get your roster in order, and the Reds. The last two or three years, they've had the worst bench in baseball. I, I, statistically, uh, last year was even worse than it is this year, believe it or not. And this team with a pitching, you know, they should have a big lead, and it's very frustrating to Reds fans. Yeah, it, it's totally frustrating. And I'm going to get into it. I'm going to go ahead and lead you into this, and, and we can have a debate if you'd like. We've got our Ask Us segment coming up in just a little bit. Greg's going to join us for that and a lot of the questions are the same things mark that we've had for the last couple of weeks and we might as well get into this you know the last couple of years i did a lot of maniac bashing and i'm sitting back mark and i look at this reds ball club and you and i have talked about this before that okay a manager can only win you maybe five ten games at the most a year with what he does but in my opinion i think a manager can lose a tremendous amount of ball games. And in in all realism, as much as I like Dusty Baker, I don't think he's the manager for this ball club. And you brought it up just a few minutes ago. The guy doesn't do anything to help put this team over the top as far as bunting, hit and running. You don't have to have a lot of speedsters, Mark, to be a hit and run ball club. Look at Detroit. Jim Leland does it all the time. You don't have to steal a lot of bases. But, I mean, with Todd Frazier or whoever's batting second, I would say if you if you come up with a guy on base and you're batting second for the Reds, you bunt. Because you've got Votto, Phillips, Bruce, and now Ludwig batting behind him, and we want these guys in scoring position. We don't want them hitting into a double play. But Dusty doesn't seem to do anything to try to get a run here or there. No, I, I agree 100%. And... I don't know what is up with Dusty this year. I, I watched him during the game yesterday. He looked like he was ready to fall asleep there. And then after the game, he said how tired he was after that game. Well, that's kind of a strange thing to say when you're managing a big league ball club that you're, you're tired. You aren't playing. You're managing. But I get back to his health. And sometimes I think he just goes through the motions and he, he doesn't even – yesterday was the first time I saw him angry on the field all year on a play that he should have gotten angry on. But it, it's just – it doesn't make any sense that uh, a guy like that doesn't have more creativity in trying to score runs when your team is not hitting well. Take, take Frazier and make him bunt or put his butt on the bench. And, 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 and Todd can bunt, and I know he would bunt if he's given the sign. But it, it, it's so frustrating. Tonight, as I mentioned before before we got on the air, the Reds had uh, 
two got on base by being hit by a pitch. It's in the, I think, the third or fourth inning. Frazier comes up next, hitting 230. He's hitting 230. He's four for his last 44, or two for his last 44. Now, what, you got Votto on deck. you got the leadoff man on. It's a tie game. Todd swings away. What's he do? He hits into a double play. Next hitter is Votto. What's he do? He singles to center field. If Frazier bunts or Reds are ahead, one or nothing. It, you, you, I want to take my shoe and throw it through the TV screen when I see stuff like that happen. I don't understand it. I played 50 years of baseball. I, I don't understand that kind of mentality when uh, this is a major league manager who doesn't either doesn't think or can't comprehend trying to score one run when you have Latos pitching. Well, Mark, you know as well as I do that the old axiom in baseball, and there's a lot of them, but one of them is you get a big inning when you play for a small inning. And I've seen that happen a lot of times this year with the Indians, and I've seen it happen to a lot of clubs throughout the years. And I want to bring up Drew Stubbs again. You know, you have always said throughout the, the, the four years of this program, Mark, that if somebody just taught Drew Stubbs how to bunt the ball, he could add 50 points to his batting average. 30 to 50 points to his batting average. He's done that this year. He's probably laid the ball down about 12 to 15 times during this season. Now, some of them have been sacrifices that he's beat out. Other times, he's just beat out the bunt for a base hit. But he never did it that many times with Cincinnati, from what I understand. No, he doesn't. And, and Francona is a different manager than Dusty. When Francona was with Boston, they had some big boppers there. But they, they, could, they could play small ball when they had to. Uh, Pedroia and those guys, they could lay down bunts and, and beat it out. And uh, they, they played comprehensive baseball, as I call it. They could, they could score from any spot on the field, any spot in the lineup. Reds can't do that. Uh, they, they seem to be in this mentality, and maybe it's ingrained in the system. And it harkens back to Adam Dunn and Ken Griffey Jr. and Austin Kearns. You know, we're, we're, we're just going to outscore everybody. We're going to hit three-run home runs. We'll hit a couple of them a night, and we're going to win. Uh, this team has not been able to score runs that way for the last four or five years. I, it, it has to be a mentality that they believe in, but it certainly has not panned out. Well, we're going to get back into the Reds and the Indians, I'm sure, with our ESCA segment, which is coming up in about ten minutes here. Greg's going to stop by, and he's going to give us our questions live We've got some other things to talk about, but I'm going to tell you right now, Mark, and we've got some audio of this, probably a big story that's going to hit ESPN tomorrow, and, of course, maybe not because it happened on CBS Sports out of Pittsburgh, the radio station there, was what Pete Rose had to say today. And I want to spend a few minutes on what Pete said. He joined 93.7 The Fans' John Phillips on CBS Radio in Pittsburgh, and he talked about his suspension and, of course, the steroid situation in baseball and why he has been so prevalent in this over the past few weeks. And he was very candid about his lifetime ban from Major League Baseball and getting a second chance to return to the game. Let's listen to what Pete had to say earlier this morning. You know, first of all, you have to understand, uh, uh, I don't call these guys to do the uh, shows. They call me. Of course, with all this steroid talk and, and the 12 guys being suspended and A-Rod appealing, uh, uh, you know, they want, they want my input because I'm suspended for life. And, uh, 
hey, everything's a different case. I made mistakes. I can't, uh, I can't whine about it. I'm the one that messed up, and I'm paying the consequences. But, however, if I'm ever given a second chance, I won't need a third chance. And I just picked, to be honest with you, I picked the wrong vice. I should have picked alcohol. I should have picked drugs, or I should have picked uh, beat, beating up my wife or my girlfriend. Because if you do those three, you get a second chance. But uh, they haven't given too many gamblers second chances in the world of baseball. Okay, that's exactly verbatim what Pete said earlier today. Again, courtesy of 93.7 The Fan out of Pittsburgh. Mark, what did he say in that statement that is erroneous? Not a thing. He left out a couple of things. Uh, he left out drugs. Uh, you know, remember Steve Howe from the Dodgers? He was convicted of cocaine use seven oh, times. Boy. He was he, he had felony convictions on, on drug use, and he he was allowed back in seven times. And it, it's the drug use by baseball players back in the seventies, eighties, and nineties was prevalent. And and even with the guys who are on steroids, they can come back and play, and that impacts the game dramatically. Uh, and so I, I don't understand the. I think it's an overreaction uh, to the the gambling thing, and uh, they wanted to use Pete as a example, and I can understand that. But I think if nothing else, they ought to let Pete in the Hall of Fame because a Hall of Fame without Pete Rose is a sham. It's ridiculous, and I don't know why you can't have a plaque next to his plaque saying Pete Rose was convicted of gambling and baseball. He was suspended from baseball, and yet he had 4,253 hits or whatever it is. And that is, it just doesn't make any sense. It's so inconsistent, and that's what I hate. It's the inconsistency and hanging the guy out to dry for the rest of his life. Uh, for what? <laughs> Who benefits from that? Who is the beneficiary of Pete Rose not being in the Hall of Fame? There is no beneficiary. And a matter of fact, I want to bring up another hypocrisy that it dawned on me earlier today, and, and I want to pose this to you. If Major League Baseball is so against gambling and betting on baseball, then why do they allow the Ohio lottery tickets to be sold in stadiums here in Cleveland and down in Cincinnati? And why do they allow casino advertising all over their stadiums and advertise on their ball games on TV and radio? Well, I think the argument there is it's a different kind of gambling, and they're not betting on baseball. But uh, aside from that hypocrisy, just the overall, uh, I, I guess it's the the overbearing aspect of baseball. And, and I think it's singularly Bud Seeley. Any other commissioner, I think, would make him, uh, they would have ended it. And, you know, Pete was offered a deal before he before he accepted the deal he, he accepted that he could have a 10-year ban and be back in baseball, and he turned it down. So somebody somewhere thought 10 years was enough. But, but Pete, in, you know, in his stupidity, turned it down. So, you, have, you, you know, that's Pete's fault. But uh, the original deal was he was going to be suspended for 10 years and then back in baseball. So uh, somebody somewhere thought, well, 10 years is about enough, and uh, yet uh, here he is still suspended. Mark, I'm going to be honest about this situation, and I'm going to say this, that the reason that baseball allows the Ohio lottery and the casinos to advertise is because it's money in their pocket, the same as whenever they want to put money in their pocket and it involves Pete Rose, they allow him back at the game. Thus, the 2000, what was it, 2002 or 2003 World Series, 
when they allowed him on the field and he got the largest ovation of anybody that came out onto the field for the 100 greatest players in the game that the fans voted on, that whenever baseball wants to make money off of Pete Rose, they parade him out under the guys that, well, if you do this, Pete, they dangle that little carrot. We may let you back into baseball, so here comes Pete. And then as soon as he's done his job for Major League Baseball and Bud Sealing, they put the thing right back on the back burner and don't do anything about it. You know what would be interesting? If they would have a referendum on Pete Rose back into the Hall of Fame, at least, by the fans. Not Major League Baseball, the fans. Have the fans vote just like they do at the All-Star game for the All-Star players. Should Pete Rose be allowed to be in the Hall of Fame? What do you think, fans? This is a fans game. Let them decide. No, no commissioner, no Hall of Fame committee uh, who, you know, think that they are so perfect that, they, that Pete can't be in, but they can. Let the fans decide. And then, then so be it. If, uh, in fact, I, I would say if it's not a 60% majority, then don't let him in. But if it's over 60%, let him in. And I bet you'd have 90% vote for Pete to be in the Hall of Fame. I was going to say about 75%, but 90 may be pretty doggone close. We're going to be back to talk about some other items and have our ESCO segment with Greg Mitchell, Mark, and I. We're going to do that right after this timeout. by Mark Donahue. Available at Joseph A. Beth, Barnes & Noble, and Books and & Company. And you can also order Mark's book, Last at Bat, here at UltimateSportsTalk.com. Just simply by going to the homepage. It's on the right-hand side. Just click on that and get your copy today. Mark, some real bad news come out of uh, baseball. Former Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, and Oakland outfielder Dave Parker announced that he has uh, Parkinson's disease. And to see this guy, the gigantic figure that he was on the baseball field just 15, 20 years ago, Mark, I mean, this guy was an imposing figure at the plate, even bigger than than Big Poppy of Boston, David Ortiz. I mean, when he stepped into the batter's box, Parker just made the bat look like a twig in his hands. And to see him succumbing to the Parkinson's disease, I think it's really a sad tale. You know, I played uh, in the Men's Senior Baseball League, uh, and this was down in Cincinnati. This had to be in the early 90s, I guess, uh, after Parker had retired. It could have been the, even the mid-90s. He'd been out of baseball for three or four years, or two, or th- at least two or three years. And I pitched against him, and I played first base against him. I was in the same league with him. And he scared the living hell out of me when I was pitching against him because he used a metal bat. And <laughs> oh, jeez. I know. And, you know, you couldn't possibly throw him anything on the outside corner because he'd line it right back the middle and, and kill you. And it didn't, then at first base, if, if somebody was on, I wouldn't hold anybody on the bag because you were afraid he was going to yank one down there and, and take out your kidney. But you're right. He, he was a really, really big guy, and uh, he could hit a long way. And with a metal bat, it, it, was, it was kind of frightening what he can do. And when it's not funny, but it's ironic. I also um, Muhammad Ali. This was about three or four years ago in Las Vegas, and uh, to see.
see that man as big as he was uh, suffering from Parkinson's, and, and now that Dave Parker uh, has announced that, I, I, obviously his symptoms are not that bad yet, because I saw him on TV six months ago, and he certainly looked lucid, and, and he wasn't didn't have tremors or anything like that. And I, I think, too, the treatments for that are much better than they were 15, 20 years ago. But, boy, you were right. Dave was a big dude, and he could whip that bat around like a toothpick. And the only thing I remember, I kept throwing him curveballs down and in. Uh, I didn't want him to get his arms extended and come back and, you know, again, driving up through the middle. And uh, But I remember seeing him take batting practice with a metal bat. He was in the ball 500 feet. And that's no exaggeration. <laughs> he, was, he was a big dude. Un, yeah, unbelievable. He he was he was huge and just one outstanding ball player. Hey, it's time for our Ask Us segment, and let's bring in now Greg Mitchell, and he's going to tell us our questions tonight from you, the fans. Greg, how are you tonight? Yeah, I'm doing great, guys. Thanks for allowing me the opportunity to come on again. It's been a while. I'm glad to be back. Welcome back, Greg. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, let's start off this Ask Us segment uh, from a tweet with, by Joey Fan 88 uh, He sent us a, tweet, a Twitter message that says, uh, realistically, do you guys think that if the Reds played the same schedule the Indians just did on their losing streak, that they would have done much better? Hashtag AL Central is best in MLB. Well, that's a good question. Yeah, that, that is a good question, and you, you can never prove a negative, so you don't know specifically. I, I would question that the AL Central is the best division in the National League, or in, 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 in MLB. I think it's the National League Central. When you have three teams like Pittsburgh, St. Louis, and Cincinnati in the same division, and they have winning records against every other division in baseball, including the American League Central. So right now, I think the National League Central is the better division from top to bottom, and even the Cubs are playing pretty good ball. So I would think outside of Detroit, which is a premier team, you have Cleveland and Kansas City, and I don't think either one of those right now are as good as the Reds or the Cardinals or the Pirates. So I think there's more depth in the National League Central. Now, how, how would they do against that schedule last week? Uh, who knows? Uh, the Reds certainly have the pitching uh, to stay with Detroit. Uh, the question would be, would they hit any better than the Indians did? And, and we'll never know. Yeah, you know, I think the only thing that the Reds have going up against the Tigers that the Indians don't are four outstanding starters. I think when you look at the Indians' rotation, uh, they threw Kluber, they threw Salazar, they moved him and his out of the rotation totally in that series. Justin Masters just didn't have it the night that he pitched against Justin Verlander. And I'll tell you, Mark, that game that Verlander pitched against the Indians on Tuesday night, he started out that game humming along at 97, 98 miles an hour, and he just got better. And, you know, notoriously, he wanted to start out slow, and then about the fifth, sixth, and seventh inning is when he really starts gearing it up. He geared it up in that first inning, throwing 97 and 98 mile an hour fastballs. And that was Porcello on... Uh, Thursday, and that was just an easy win because the Indians were just out of it by then. Yeah, it's a real interesting question. Like you said, Mark, it's hard to prove a negative. Um, I don't know how the Reds have fared against the Tigers and the Angels, but it might have been interesting to see because really the Reds didn't even play the Tigers this year, do they? No. They played them last year, and they lost 2-3, of three, although they, they should have won 2-3. of three. 
But as you were talking about the rotation, let me throw this out at you. Next year, assuming everybody's healthy, and the Reds don't sign a Royal, I don't think they will, a starting rotation of Cueto, Latos, Bailey, Chapman, and Singrani. That's that's pretty good rotation. <laughs> that may be one of the better rotations baseball's seen in the last 10 or 15 years, if everybody's healthy. So, uh, you know, I don't think a Royal will be back. Uh, but, you know, there's... <laughs> There's a lot of depth in that rotation for sure. Yeah, and see, I think the starter that the Indians are using right now, Jimenez, I don't think he'll be back next year either. I think he's gone, which means Salazar will move into that spot. You'll have Kluber, Masterson. Uh, you know, Josh Tomlin is coming back next year after Tommy John surgery. He's made a couple of rehab starts uh, already for the Indians. Um, he's trying to make it back in September. Not sure if he's going to, especially if the Indians are in a pennant race. I don't think you're going to see Chris Perez on this team next year, and I know you're not going to see Ubaldo Jimenez. So, by the way, I hope that answers uh, his question. By the way, you didn't catch the fact that I left Mike Leak out of that rotation. He of the 2.58 ERA. So, you know, the Reds have six starters that they could throw out there next year, and uh, any one of them could be a number one. And if they decide to do what they wanted to do this year. And put Bruxton as closer. You got seven because you got Chapman. Well, I included Chapman in my original five. I had Cueto, Lados, Bailey, Chapman, and Singrani. I did not have okay. Leak. Uh, so you have you put Leak in that mix, and and you know pick one of those guys, put him in the bullpen. You still have a heck of a rotation. Greg. Uh, so Larry wrote into us uh, via our email account, and he says I have two biggest wastes of the season. Greg, are you there? The chew. Yeah, can you hear me? No. Hello? Yeah, I, I I can I can hear him, Mark. Okay. Okay, Greg, let, go me, ahead. let me go ahead and start this over. Hello? Yes. Okay. Larry wrote in and says, here are my biggest two wastes of the season. Chew and Arroyo. Chew is a great addition to the Reds and should have put the team over the hump this year. The Reds have seriously underperformed and wasted his talent. And then Arroyo is a great pitcher, but couldn't have been worth a lot on the trade market. Reds have some talented young pitchers to add to the staff, and will have Cueto returning before playoffs. Reds wasted the opportunity to get long-term value out of Arroyo, who will not be back next year. Okay, Mark, basically the question was, uh, I, I Bronson and Arroyo were, were waste. Well, I, I don't think so. Um, in, in a perfect world next year, you'd have Billy Hamilton somewhere in that lineup, maybe even playing third base, and you have uh, Chu batting second, or even having Hamilton batting second. Uh, but Chu but has he's done everything you could ask of a leadoff hitter. I, I, he's had a good year. Uh, with Arroyo... I, I'm hot and cold in Arroyo because he's never been more than a 500 pitcher. He's he's won a few games over 500, uh, but he's capable of giving up five or six runs in a game easily. Uh, I, I would be stunned and so disappointed if they re-sign him next year. Uh, he's 36 years old. Uh, he doesn't have a good enough fastball now to set up his breaking pitches, and he'll have a good game from time to time because people don't adjust. But uh, he, he's not a guy that should be anchoring that bullpen or anchoring that starting rotation 
when you've got guys like Singrani and Chapman, and I don't know if you heard what Robert Stevenson did the other night. Uh, this is a kid. Uh, they just moved up to Bakersfield out of Dayton, and he was throwing 101 miles an hour as a starter in the seventh inning. He struck out nine and gave up two hits. Uh, this kid, I saw him pitch here in Dayton. <laughs> I'm telling you, uh, he's as good as I have seen the Reds have uh, as a starting pitcher. In I can't remember the last pitcher they brought up through the minors. He's he's light years ahead of Bailey when Bailey came up. So Bailey you is your. Do Do you think the Reds missed an opportunity, though, Mark, by not trading Royal at the deadline to get something they needed? I I would have traded him, but don't forget he has a no trade clause. He wouldn't have gone anywhere. He's going to be a free agent. Why would he go to a team that uh, the Reds are contenders? He wouldn't. He wouldn't have left. Uh, so he had a full no trade contract, and uh, he he wouldn't have left. And I don't think the Reds would have done that to the clubhouse because Arroyo is a you know a, a popular guy in the clubhouse. Everybody likes him. Uh, the fans like him, and I think it would have been a PR disaster. Although I think it would have been the right thing to do if you want to improve your ball club. Greg? Okay, uh, Corey sent in an email. He says, uh, Joey Votto is getting a lot of flack about settling for a walk in a high-pressure position instead of trying to put the bat on the ball. I love Votto, but lack baseball knowledge. Can you explain to me why Votto is getting heat for being walked instead of trying to swing at a bat pitch? I've heard that complaint about Votto on several different occasions, Mark. Did you hear the question? Yes, yes. Yeah, I don't think people get upset with Votto when he doesn't swing at a bad pitch. I think they get upset with Votto when he doesn't swing at a marginal pitch, a pitch he could probably hit. On the other hand, yesterday I saw Joey Votto in a game against San Diego. He did not have a hit. And he hit three line shots that people were lucky they weren't killed or had their hand taken off. This guy's swing is so beautiful. It is so perfect. And imagine what he would do if he had a solid number four hitter behind him. This guy would hit 375. He'd hit 35 or 40 home runs and drive in 130 runs. But he has no protection, either in front of him or behind him. So, you know, the Reds uh, are not taking advantage of a guy who is an extraordinary hitter. This guy's not a good hitter. He's not a great hitter. He's he's one of the greatest hitters that I have seen in baseball as long as I've been watching baseball. He, he's seldom fooled, and everything is hard hit. And he's right now, he's just trying to do it alone. And uh, it really depends on how you view your number of hitters. Should it be a guy hitting the base, or should it be a guy hitting home runs? But, you know, Votto's not going to change his swing just because people think he's not hitting enough home runs. Greg? Okay, we have uh, an anonymous person emailed into us, and he gave us oh, a, a buy on. or sell segment. <laughs> okay. He gave us a buy or sell segment. It's all about the Reds. Um, so we'll try to go through this as quickly as possible. Uh, the first one it says, buy or sell. The Reds missing link was Ludwig, and now the team can get back on track. I would sell that. I don't. I don't believe that's true. I don't think okay. that's true either. I, th I think the Reds, I I'm going to sell that. All right. Um, the next one is buy or sell. The Reds will do nothing with waivers. 
I, I would, uh, I'm not sure how you buy or sell that because uh, you're asking a negative. I think the Reds will do a waiver deal. I think they will. Uh, I don't know with whom or for whom, but uh, I, I can't imagine Jockey sitting around much longer the way his third baseman is hitting and not do something. He, they, they need they need another bat, and I just think that uh, there will be somebody out there he's going to nab. Mark, you're so good at putting me in this position. I'm going to put you in that position. If Philadelphia called you tomorrow and said, we'll give you Michael Young for Singrani or Stevenson, what do you say? No way. Okay, let me take another. Let me let me offer you one other one. Okay. If Toronto calls you and offers you Batista for Singrani or Stevenson, then what do you say? No, I wouldn't do that deal either. Really? Nope. Not for those two. Those two could no, be the pillars. No, either or. No, e- e- no, either, either one. Uh, I, I wouldn't give up. As I said, Stevenson, the best arm I've seen to come out of the Reds in 25 years, maybe since Don Gellett. Uh, and Sidney is pretty close. And Batista, I, I forget how old he is, but I, he's probably in his early 30s, mid-30s. Uh, he, he's, he's, not, he's not a guy with his batting average. He strikes out a lot. He hits a lot of home runs. But there are players out there. Now, if you say, okay, I'll give you Sidney for Yasiel Puig, yeah, I might do that deal because, you know, young player for young player, value for value, uh, that's a deal I'd look at uh, or something like that. You know, somebody who's young, talented, uh, but I wouldn't go to a an old player like Young or a middle-aged player like uh, Bautista. Not not for those two. Now, there again, there are guys on the roster I trade for those guys, but uh, those aren't two of them. I, I trade Billy Hamilton. I trade Billy Hamilton for Bautista. Okay. Great. Okay, um, moving along, we've got two more for this, uh, for Mr. Anonymous's uh, buy or sell segment. Uh, buy or sell, Araldis Chapman will be in discussions to be a starter for third offseason in a row. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I buy that one because I don't think the Reds can decide what they want to do with this guy. Yeah, they, they will. I, I'm almost certain they're going to make him a star next year because they're going to get rid of Arroyo, and that would be you know a perfect slide in for him. And uh, I don't know who. I mean, somebody even mentioned today to me uh, about Stevenson coming in as a closer. He throws that hard, and he throws strikes. So you know you, the Reds have people in their organization that can close, and uh, uh, you know Chapman could get one heck of a starter for him. I think Chapman's going to be a good starter, Mark, but I mean, every time he has a bad outing, and it's going to happen, the questions are going to arise, is he, should he be a starter, should he go back to the bullpen, it's always, the Reds have made this such a circus that it's going to be something that hangs over his head for the rest of his career. Yeah, (laughs) the guy is an extraordinary talent. And he's already had three years of a six-year contract. And the Reds have an opportunity to make him much more valuable as a starter. They don't want to resign him after six years because he's going to command a heck of a lot of money. And he's worth more as a starter to them than he is as a reliever. So I think they're definitely going to start in the next three years. And if he doesn't work out, he can always go back to the bullpen. I mean, this guy, the other day, David, I think it was Friday night, 
He threw three pitches at 103. And it didn't look like he was trying. The ball, it just explodes out of his hand. And if he has control, he's simply not hittable. So it's, it's a great problem to have. And I, I don't think people ought to have a lot of angst over this because there's no wrong answer. You put him in the bullpen, he's going to be a stud closer. You put him in a starting rotation, he'll be a stud starter. Just like Wainwright. You remember Wainwright, when he first came up, was a reliever. You know, you, could, you couldn't make a bad decision with Wainwright. Same with Chapman. I just think with, the, with Dusty and Jockety, I don't think they can decide what they want to do with him. They, they, they fluctuate every year with, is he going to be a starter? Is he going to be a reliever? We've signed Broxton to a three-year deal order to uh, make him the closer so we can make Chapman a starter. Then all of a sudden, Chapman's back in the bullpen, and he's going to be the closer again. I, I think they're so in a flummox about what they want to do with this guy. I don't think they can come to a decision. Yeah, I, again, I, I don't see that it's people ought to worry about it. Um, my, my biggest complaint in terms of deals the Reds did or did not make was the fact that they uh, signed Broxton to a three-year deal at $7 million a year. I don't get that. I, I, just, I was stunned when they did that uh, because Broxton, I don't think, is going to be a good closer. He, he, he doesn't fool enough people. And uh, his control is okay, but, uh, you know, it, it, Right now with the red starting rotation, you don't miss Chapman. And that's that's amazing to say when they've already lost Cueto, I think, for the year. And uh, still the red's rotation is, is one of the best in baseball. Greg? All right, last point for Mr. Anonymous. Buy or sell. Dusty Baker will be released this offseason. You know, I would buy that. And it may not be because of the performance of the team. I think it may be because of his health. Well, the question is, will he be released? Not if he'll quit. Well, no. Um, well, okay. No, I don't think he'll be released. I thought the question was, will he be replaced? And I think he, I think there's a high probability he will be replaced, but not because of uh, performance necessarily, but because of health. And then maybe his decision it could be a joint decision with him and the team. Uh, I just don't think he's recovered from the stroke. I think the only way he is gone is if the ownership dictates the move to Jockett. I think if, jo if it's Jockett's decision and Dusty's, Dusty will be back next year. If it is the owner's decision, I think Dusty will be gone. Yeah, I, I think you might be right about that. Um, I, I don't know who you would get to replace him other than Price, the pitching coach, who everybody really respects on the Reds team. Uh, and he, he'd be like Bud Black, a pitcher who becomes a manager. There's not a lot of them, frankly. But I think the Reds have enough talent internally they could certainly bring somebody in who can bring some excitement and life back to this team. Uh, because right now it, it's a dead team. and. Uh, the lack of excitement uh, is important to the fans, believe it or not. I mean, it's something that they can sense. And yesterday they had a sellout crowd there. And in the middle of the game, it sounded like a like the funeral dirge you played uh, today. It's, it's just total lack of excitement. So uh, I, I hope Dusty's okay, but uh, it wouldn't surprise me if he's replaced. All right, guys, uh, last, last one here. Uh, Engine 42. I, I have to, I guess, give a quick shout out to this guy, uh, or girl. Uh, this fan, Engines 42, 
has been with us for the last two years and has consistently rode into us ever since we started the Ask a segment. Uh, does a lot of communication with us via our Twitter, so I want to give him a shout-out. Thank you so much for uh, for all your uh, consistent listening and uh, appreciation of the work that uh, Mark and Dave do on this show. Uh, it really means a lot to us. Um, Engines42 says, I don't like seeing Falcons are on a steady decline, but if anyone can turn this team around, it's Francona. These players will not give up like last season. Indians are not out of this race yet. Well, I don't think, you know, the, the funeral dirge that we did at the beginning of the show was was done for fun. I, I think they're out of the, the central race. I think, realistically, the wild card is the most probable thing for them. But in all realism, when you look at this team, yeah, it's extremely improved from a year ago. Of course, they can only go up. They couldn't go down. I think they've got a lot of players on this team, a lot more than they had a year ago, and I think a lot of that has to do with Perry Francona. Now, I think next year what you're going to see out of this ball club, I've already said I don't think Chris Perez is going to be back. Mark, I'm going to say right now, I think one of these two players will be gone next year. As Rubel Cabrera or Carlos Santana. One of those two will be gone, and they will send them away, possibly in a package with Chris Perez, to get a cleanup hitter. I think that's what they have to get in order for this team to be a legitimate contender to the Tigers this year, next year. But this year, yeah, Francona's not going to let this team die. He's going to keep them in the race. I think they'll be in, in it for at least, up until at least the last two weeks of the season. They may be out of it, you know, heading into the last two weeks. But, hey, that's a lot better than a lot of people thought they would be in a lot better position than they thought they'd be in. And I think they've got to do some more work like they did last year during the off season, And I, I think they will. I agree. And, and I, I look at the Indians, and they remind me of the Reds back in 2008 and 2009. The Reds were competitive. Uh, they won more than they lost. Uh, but they they couldn't get over the hump. They couldn't they couldn't get to that next level where they were a contender uh, like they became in 2010. And in fact, I say they're over the hump. Uh, they, they really weren't contenders in eight and nine. They they played good ball. They had a decent team, but they faded. And if you look what the Pirates did the last three years, they got better every year. And the last two years, they faded. Now I know they're in a slump right now, but I think Pittsburgh is there to stay. And I see the Indians very similar to that. That they, they remember the last two years before this year, the Indians were in first place in June, if not July, and they certainly were in it. To you know, into July they weren't out of it, and this year they just extended that. So they've gotten better every year, and as you said, they got better this year, and they're one bat away from being a, a really competitive team. Now, can they beat Detroit? <laughs> I don't know, but uh, they're certainly better than uh, Kansas City and, and Minnesota and other teams in that division, uh, and I think they'll be better next year. And, and again, our thanks also to, to Engine's fan. He, he's been a, he or she have been a steady uh, contributor to this show over the last two or three years, and we really appreciate it. Greg? All right, guys, that ends our Ask Us segment. Thank you very much. And, fans, if you want to send in your comments or questions for, to be read here live over the air, you can send us an email at askus at ultimatesportstalk.com or send us a tweet anytime at altsportstalk. All right, thanks, Greg. Mark, uh, Thank one 
quick comment before we end our show. We've just got about 60 seconds. Uh, I want to get your opinion on the Jack Clark comments about Albert Pujols. Your, your thoughts. In case anybody's wondering, he, he basically was fired for comments that he made last week saying that he knew for a fact that Albert Pujols was on the juice. What were your thoughts? Well, my thoughts are Jack Clark is a idiot. And uh, for saying that now, if, if he was aware of it 13 years ago, where were you 13 years ago, Jack? Are you just trying to get your radio ratings up? Uh, if so, that, that's, that's pretty cheesy. Uh, the guilt by association, a guy like Pujols, maybe he used, I don't know. Nobody knows. But the, the problem is if he didn't use, I think it's a tragedy that he's caught under that veil of suspicion caused by so many players that we know used. So I can't defend him because I don't know. I just don't think he did use him. But if he did, and Clark knew about it, then he should have said something. And if he didn't stay back then, keep your mouth shut. Well, that's going to do it for tonight's show. We're going to end it on that note. Mark, what do the Reds have coming up this week? Well, they, they've got uh, Chicago for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Then they go to Milwaukee for four games over the weekend. And uh, if the Reds don't win at least four or five of these games, it's going to be a bad road trip. Well, and the Indians, they've got the Twins not only tonight, which they're down 3 nothing right out of the Twins, but they've got them on Tuesday, Wednesday. They're off Thursday as they head out west. They're going to play at Oakland, a three-game set, and then they play a three-game set in L.A. against the Angels next Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. That's going to do it for us tonight. Mark, thanks. We'll talk to you again next Monday night. Have a good one, Dave. Sounds good. And don't forget to join us on Thursday night as we look at the Big Ten on the Ultimate Sports Talk show here at Ultimate Sports Talk. And our thanks to you for being our listeners tonight. For Mark Donahue, I'm Dave Mitchell. Join us again next Monday night with the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show at 9 o'clock. Until then, have a good weekend, everyone, and good night.